As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. Stay tuned to learn more about BTE's tune-up services. Everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. Welcome or welcome back to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast where we sometimes discuss Chet Dragon and Jim Rodcap. Big Jed, what's happening, brother? Oh, Luke, uh, just getting in, settling in for the night and looking forward to uh, this discussion that we're going to have. This is a, <laughs> a very hot topic coming up in the next segment and really excited about it, really close to it and, and got a pretty good perspective on what's happened. So um, other than that, not much about yourself. Okay. Full disclosure, this was supposed to be a pretty laid back episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. I was going to get nerdy with my NHRA points breakdown. We're going to have Rex Simmermaker on because he's our uh, top sportsman, top dragster resident expert as uh, those fields converge on Indy for the first time. We're still going to do that with Rex. Getting nerdy is going to have to get put off a week because, uh, to be completely frank, I was going to do this show on my own. We've been trying to break things up a little bit, manage our time. But a young man by the name of Casey Pesnell broke the internet over the course of the last week and a half and we just can't not talk about it right yes very hot so, topic and it needs a discussion it very much so so that's where we're going if you hadn't guessed already and that is without question what everybody's talking about 
believe you gotta hear this. This week on what everyone is talking about. Okay, for those of you that have been living under a rock, a little over a week ago, SFG event in Montgomery, Alabama, $50,000 main event was won by a young man by the name of Casey Pesnell. And you noticed I, I had a little hesitation there when I said young man. I don't even know if that's appropriate. <laughs> As it turns out, Casey Pesnell, 14 years of age. I didn't stutter. 14 years of age. Not only competing in, but winning a $50,000 to win bracket race. Now, there's a lot of different directions that we can take with this discussion, Jed. And we're going to try to do our best to go down most of them. But I think it would be a crime if we didn't start by saying, holy cow, Casey Pesnell is 14 years old and won a 50 grander. Like, for, like We'll get deeper into the logistics of this and the details of this and what it means for a sport and whether he should have even been competing. But let's not get lost on the fact that a 14-year-old beat the best racers in the country and won a $50,000 race. That all else removed is extremely impressive yeah luke uh, obviously history was made yes the youngest winner of an event of that magnitude ever and all indications are that he'll be the youngest to ever do it going forward that uh, might know, be safe to say at this point <laughs> it will never be duplicated I, I think that's not going out on a the, on a limb per se Casey is not getting to enjoy what he accomplished the way that most of us would, but it's still, it'll never be taken from him. And at some point, he'll be able to look back on this as, as an unbelievable accomplishment. You know, the the likes of Troy Williams and the other lane beside him, uh, Hunter Patton, Corey Galitti, you know, some of the best racers in our sport stage beside this 14-year-old and he come out the victor and held the $50,000 check while having to switch cars in the final due to an engine issue and got in a friend's dragster for the final round and goes 009 on the tree. Car he hadn't set in all day. So we'll talk more about KC and, and his talent moving forward. But as you said, just a, an unbelievable accomplishment and one that no matter how many want to take it from him, they'll never get to. Well, just to put this into perspective, I've been trying to win a 50 grander for 20 plus years, 20 years of racing at, you know, one of the higher levels of the sport. I've never, never won a 50 grander. I'm 38. <laughs> Casey Pesnell is 14. It's unbelievable. Jed, I know that you're close to the family. Before we get into the, the more hot-button topic and aspect of this, just give me a little bit of the, the Casey Pesnell story in the background. Casey comes from a racing family. His father, Greg, has been involved in motorsport for quite some time, mostly on the round track side. But he understood early in Casey's life that he had kind of a an odd ability to handle motorized vehicles and he heard about junior dragster racing and thought you know i think i need to get him in drag racing he can get in it early and he did just that i mean casey's been stump jumping razors since he was five years old i mean the kids just got unbelievable talent behind the wheel and ability to handle whatever he's driving or, or racing at the time so 
Greg got him involved in junior drag racing. He come up to the ranks. Greg obviously provided him with great equipment, but KC was a many, many time winner on the, the junior dragster scale, you know, junior dragster racing side of things. And, you know, he, I guess Casey, and I, I don't mean this to sound anything like it's going to sound, so don't, the haters don't get started, but kind of got bored with, you know, the, he's, he's 14 now, obviously, kind of got bored with racing against eight-year-old kids here locally. And, uh, you know, he would win his share, obviously, and wanted to step into the, the next level, felt like he was ready. Greg has a group of people that he consults with pretty much on anything drag racing and I happen to be one of those people and he said do you you think KC could handle the next level and I said there's no doubt in my mind at 14 years old he was put in a Malibu that goes 680s and turned loose this year around here in Alabama some unsanctioned outlaw tracks and performed really well but like a lot of 680 Malibus in the hot summer sun here in Alabama, the car didn't provide all of the tools that he wanted to compete on a, on this level. So they decided to put him in uh, their 63 Corvette door car, which is a, you know, a stretch version, nice car, went 570s. KC got in that, performed really well. 14 years old, going 570s in a door car. Yeah, some some things are possible in Alabama that's not possible everywhere, but really enjoyed that. Did well, but wanted to step into a dragster, and they bought him a dragster. I'm going to guess probably about seven, maybe eight weeks ago. And I think the rest is history, but uh, he's taken to the dragster really well. Yeah. <laughs> Here, uh, here, and I, I, this is probably obvious for any of you listening, but uh, to restate the obvious, the irony of the situation is that there is nothing more that Casey Pesnell could have done to prove that it, despite being 14 years old, he is more than capable of not, not only you know handling his himself in a race car but competing at the highest level of our sport. Like he won a 50 grander. You can't do anything more to prove that. The irony is that in winning the 50 grander, he basically punched his ticket to not get to do this again for a year and a half. You know what I mean? With yeah. the exception yeah. of some of the, the outlaw tracks that you just mentioned that will just turn the other cheek to it, um, simply because his success has garnered so much attention and shed light on his age that he's not going to get the opportunity to do it again until he's 16. Now, that brings us to the the obvious question here is, should Casey Pesnell, and it's, at this point for me, the conversation really isn't about Casey specifically. The conversation is more, should any 14-year-old be allowed to compete, to drive a car of that nature, to compete? And I didn't, shouldn't even say like at the top level, at any level against grown men and women at speeds in excess of 140 miles an hour. And I'll throw that to you first. Luke, I've said all along, and you know, I'm, I'm close to this, very close, too close, if you will. Uh, I, I know this kid extremely well. I know his parents, Greg and Leslie, extremely well. And 
Uh, I've been a part of his racing life since he had a racing life. Now, do I think any 14-year-old should just be able to jump in a car of that speed and go race? Absolutely not. And Casey and Greg know my position on this. But this is an extraordinarily rare talent that has shown the ability to to do it. And what I guess I would like to see out of this is if if there's a way for a, a young person of that age to prove themselves and and go through the licensing steps that that you would go through that he'll go through 15 months from now i mean really it's 15 months if if you could go through those steps at this age and prove yourself then you know i say let them do it they're doing it in all forms of motorsports only ours is left out of the mix for young people that age so no any 14 year old shouldn't be able to do it but i would like to see a way for them to show that they can and get an opportunity that's a compelling argument and i've thought about that as well that that, in other forms of of motorsport there is a path for the the younger generation to excel and, and compete along alongside the older ones for the sake of conversation. And this is where I think you and I, Jed, maybe the more that I see on social media, I think that we, uh, I never thought of ourselves as being particularly unique, but in our ability to have a respectful conversation with, from conflicting viewpoints, (laughs) that doesn't seem as common anymore. (laughs) So I'm going to take the opposite side of the fence because I think it's good for conversation. My stance here would be that the question that I ask is, should KC or more appropriately, any 14-year-old be allowed to compete? And I'll say no. And I realize completely in saying that, that if you have followed my racing career, if you have listened to this podcast, that that's a really hypocritical statement because I myself took the wheel of a quote-unquote big car at 14 years old. Let's be clear, and let me say this, because before I even heard what you just said about Casey's past, it was very obvious that if any 14-year-old should be allowed to do this, it's this one, right? Obviously, he's special. Yes. But I will argue that no 14-year-old has any business driving a 140-plus-mile-an-hour car against grown men and women. There's just so much to go. Like, I don't know the the science behind it, but I'm just going to assume that there are people way smarter than me that set the minimum driving age for driving on the street at 16 years old. Like, I'm sure that there's something behind that. Like, there's a reason that that's the arbitrary number it has to do with the average mental capability, the average, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like maturity at that age. And 16 is the age. And I don't really take any issue with that. And if that's the age that the average person is capable of safely driving down the street, like I see no problem in transferring that over to competition and, you know, NHRA brackets, what have you. Why that's an arbitrary number, I don't know. But 16 seems fine and seems legal and it seems like a good place to start. Now, you say, you, and I know that you're close to the situation with, with Casey's yeah. parents, and I think that they have been the, the target of some pretty unwarranted vitriol. 
you can speak more to that. We talked a little bit of that off the air. From a parenting standpoint, I'm, I've tried to think about this from both aspects because I know the pressure that I put on my father when I was 14 to, to race, to let me do that. And then I can also see the side of like, there is no way that I would put my 14-year-old in a car like that. And so seeing kind of both sides of that, I'm not going to begin to judge the parenting decisions because I can kind of see both sides. And ultimately, I think this boils down to the only thing that I can relate this to is I've got a six-year-old, right? And legally, by the NHRA rules, he is legal to go drive a junior dragster. Starts at age five. I, my six-year-old, is not ready to go drive a junior dragster, period. Maybe he'll be at eight. Maybe he'll be at ten. But that doesn't mean that there's no five-year-olds that are ready to go do that. I get that. Just as, like, no different than there are 10-year-olds that are not ready to get behind the wheel. I think it's very, very uh, subjective, you know, and it's very individualized per per the person. I don't see any difference in this. So I'm not going to sit back and judge any parents as saying, look, I know my kid's capable of this. I'm going to send them out there. Or, like, my kid's not ready and and he's 19, you know what I mean, or whatever the case may be. But I'll say this, like... Two things. Number one is from KC's parents' perspectives, the one thing I would say is like the foresight into the matter to say, okay, 90% of the time, what any 14-year-old is going to do that is capable of of racing and competing at that level, they're going to come out there and they're going to take their lumps and they're going to learn. And they can do that quietly because nobody cares when you're taking your lumps. That's right. The other... 10% 10% of the time, maybe not even that, maybe it's 95-5, right? You either, like something horrific happens that may or may not be the fault of the 14-year-old, but they're involved in an accident and then it is a firestorm that nobody wants to be involved in, right? Or what happens, or what just happened, happens. And he has unbelievable success and then there's no way to hide that he's 14 and then what? You know what I mean? Like everything's fine and well as long as he takes his lumps, which is what everybody expects. <laughs> yeah. But when it doesn't go that way, now it's a firestorm. So I think my argument here, and Jed, I'll, I'll let you jump in. My argument is that there's some responsibility that goes all the way around. But like, if you want to judge the parents, my argument is that it shouldn't be their choice. Like it shouldn't even be an option. But this culture that we've created... There's like a time and a place where it makes sense that a 14-year-old should be driving this, this race car. And I don't think that's ultimately on the parents. The problem specific to the, the big dollar bracket scene, and I realize this is not nationwide, this is not worldwide, this is fairly regional, but it's not just one specific part of the country, is that the big dollar bracket scene is, for lack of a better word, anarchy. Like anything goes. And you can get this impression that, hey, this is fine. And I'll go down more down that road, but I'll throw it back to you, Jed, because I, I don't know that we're necessarily completely conflicted. Like, I know you're saying a lot of things that I agree with. I'm probably saying some things that you're agreeing with, but I'll let you kind of take the floor and rebut. Yeah, first, uh, you, you talked about how we can, even if we disagree with someone, you know, we can respectfully present our opinion without yours having to be the dumbest freaking thing I've ever heard in my life or you're you're stupid or whatever. Wait, so, you don't agree with me? You must. <laughs> exactly. So definitely 
can understand, I can understand anyone's position that says no 14-year-old ever, no matter how talented, should do this. I get that. And I understand and respect that opinion if anyone has it. However, I am very close to this 14-year-old, and he's an extraordinary talent. And I told his dad when asked, do you think he can handle it? I said, yes. There's no doubt in my mind he can handle it. He's He's just got it. So I can see both sides of it. Now, to the parent side of this thing, Greg and Leslie love that young man as much as parents can love a child. We all love our children at the highest level. They're no different. The last thing in the world they would do is try to satisfy a need for speed while compromising their belief and and their protection responsibility of their child. So they didn't put him in harm's way in their eyes trying to trying to win big races. That was never the intent. He showed tremendous ability the minute that he got in big cars. They progressed quickly into this dragster and got a little taste of some big money racing, loved it. And KC wanted to go do it and got the opportunity to go do it and did it. The response from people and actually some of it has actually been directed straight to Greg through messaging and what have you, that he's a terrible parent, terrible father for what he's done by putting his son in this car and, and letting him go that fast. Absolutely ridiculous. You don't get to judge how good a parent someone is when you don't know the story. And 99.87% of the response has been people that don't know the, the bad responses have been people that don't have any idea what's going on. They just You can't understand how talented this young man is without having some background, some history, and, and being close to him. So I'm very ashamed of the racing community that has just blown this completely out of proportion and to the point where These are bad parents. Greg and Leslie Pesnell are great parents. They are not bad parents. So please stop all that. Secondly, or thirdly, or wherever I'm at right now, they're being made out to be liars. Yeah, they're being made out to be liars and cheats. Could not be farther from the facts. They have anywhere they've raced, anywhere they've raced, They've understood that this is not normal, that this might or might not be allowed. They have contacted, whether it be a track or a series, ahead of time and said, this is what's going on. Can we race? And they've even been told yes or no. They have been told no, and they have been told yes. Obviously, they've been told yes. There's a track here locally that had an agreement with Greg up front at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he's going to be racing a 680 Malibu. Okay, yeah, well, we've seen him. Let him come do it. Then they obviously progressed to the dragster kind of seemingly overnight, and that track said, wait a minute now. This is not what we agreed on. Let's back up and get back to what we agreed to because we're not comfortable with that. I get it and respect it. KC was a little upset by that, but he's 14. I get that too. He wanted to race the dragster and not the the quote-unquote slow door car. 
so that's been a little issue. But there's been other places where he's been allowed to race. But that has not one time, even even what's just happened, this, this big win, not one time have they lied or cheated their way into a race. Now, Luke, I don't know if you want me to expand on that or expound. I don't know which word fits right now. I'm, I'm, I'm on fire right now. I don't know if you want me to talk more about that or if we want to talk about that in a little bit later. But either way, there's been no lying and no cheating to get them into a race. That is not my opinion. That is not rumor. That is 100% fact. So everybody that thinks they're liars and cheats and sending messages and talking about it, stop the bull crap because there's no lying and no cheating that has gone on to get them into a race. Yeah, no, I, I want to circle back to that for sure. And I, and I do not want to, I don't want to stop this roll that you're on. So if you've got 4D, let's roll. Okay, so <laughs> thank you. I talked to AJ Ash today. Everybody knows that AJ Ash is the race director for the SFG series events. Uh, first and foremost, AJ and I had great discussion today. Uh, been friends, really good friends, a long time, and I've heard it from others. And you know, I think there is a there is a percentage of people out there, listeners, racers, what have you, that think based on some things I've said or that we've said that there's uh, there is a uh, issue with SFG to the point where we want to call them out for things. Not the case whatsoever. As I told AJ, I've been in awe of some of the things they've accomplished and it's been it's been amazing some of the things they've accomplished. I told AJ, you guys have more races than anybody. So normally, naturally you're going to get discussed more and some extraordinary things have happened within your races that call for some attention. Yeah, more races, more controversy, more stuff that we're going to talk about. Exactly, and uh, which real quickly goes back to uh, the Dragway 42 thing where AJ tested the rollout. That was on day two. I reported that it was on day one, and they had a really good day the day prior. The next day, they had an issue the rollout had gotten moved an inch. Somebody did it. We know that don't happen by itself. The wind don't blow rollout out of out of proportion. So somebody messed with it, and AJ tested it because they didn't need a racer doing it. So that, I misreported that or, or reported it wrong. I apologize for that. But anyway, want to clear that up. Now, AJ was aware of Casey's age and allowed him to come race the SFG 525 in Michigan. They knew they were going a long way from home, and there's no way in the world they were going to take a 14-year-old to that from Alabama wondering if they could race. Okay, They checked, and AJ had just watched the young man avoid a crash on the top end from his opponent and did it well and said, you know, I mean, he's got tremendous ability, yeah, yeah, he can come race. Now, he said some other things in that that kind of left the door open for him to be removed from the race. But nonetheless, A.J. let it happen. And A.J. said, the one thing I want people to know is I take 100% responsibility for him being in the race. He 
maintains the position that Kyle Riley had no knowledge of Casey's age whatsoever. And actually, Kyle was, I think, approached prior to the season and told that he wanted to come racing. And Kyle said, no, it's probably not a good idea. But AJ said, I let it go on. And I take 100% responsibility. It was totally my decision. And, you know, maybe if he could go back and take it back now, he would. But I think we've all learned something from this. And it's actually going to help the SFG series. They're building a committee or forming a board of racers and respected people in the racing industry. And they are going to put some rules together for pretty much every scenario that you could possibly think of and be very clear, be black and white. If you fit in it, come race. If you don't, don't worry about coming to race because it's not going to happen. So that'll be a good thing. But nonetheless, uh, AJ definitely, well, I'm, I don't want to use the wrong words. I want to say remorseful, but he, he wishes that it hadn't have happened like it did. But he knows that uh, the winning is what brought the attention to it. So, you know, had Casey went out there, as you said very early in this segment, Luke, and, and uh, been a sacrificial lamb for some hitters in the sport, uh, paid his entries and his buybacks, probably would have just flew right under the radar and nobody would have ever known. But this kid went out and won a 50. And that uh, has obviously brought attention to it, but it's probably for the best. So if some if, if there was an incident, I keep reading that. If there was an incident, you know, what would happen? What about insurance? Look, I pay track insurance every year. I I pay race insurance every year at events. It ain't it don't do nothing. So if cars get run over on a racetrack, if anybody can tell me where insurance took care of that, uh holler at me because I've been hit on a racetrack. And I've had a couple of incidents, so I need to recoup some some money myself. That insurance don't do anything. Do they control things and tell you what you can and can't do? Probably a lot of the time they do, yes, but sometimes they just want their check. So I'm not worried about insurance or incidents per se. And I think what I'm trying to say here is it's fine to have an opinion whether or not you think – a 14-year-old should be going down the racetrack at any speed, especially 140 miles per hour. What it's not fine to do is try to give me every reason other than he's 14 and that's just too young why it shouldn't happen. Well, it's tracks insurance, and I don't think they allow it. Well, the NHRA don't allow it. Well, okay. Well, NHRA, maybe they should allow it. But when it's all said and done – AJ definitely took responsibility for it and said it was my decision and my decision only, and we've learned from it, and we're moving on. He said Saturday when it was all brought to light as Casey was going rounds and, and getting down to basically the nitty-gritty of the 50, they decided, you know, the damage is done. It's probably not how anybody envisioned or wanted this to go, but go ahead and run Sunday, and that's pretty much going to be it will stop at that point. So there was a lot of question about why he got to race Sunday. 
well, they decided the damage was done and you're here and we've let you get to this point. So we'll let you run Sunday and then we'll, we'll shut it down from there. But all in all, AJ was, he, he owned it. He was again, open and honest and said, uh, we, we're going to stop this from happening. But he definitely knew how old Casey was and there was no lying, cheating and tricking to get him in the race. And that has been 100% confirmed. So anybody that's got an opinion otherwise should just listen to that and know that that is 100% fact. I rambled a little bit there, Luke, but I, I, I just got so much flying around in my head. No, and that makes a ton of sense. And that makes me feel better because I was going to approach this as just like, listen, hypothetically, I'm the, the father of this 14 year old prodigy. And I know that he's capable. Like, I'm not worried about him in the car. Not only do I think he competed at this level, like, I think he's got a chance to win. There is no way that I would fork over the money just blindly. Like I said, my father and I were in a different situation. Like, I was driving a eight second, eighth mile car, and we were just trying to sneak by with it at Outlaw Tracks, right? But there is no way that I would fork over the entry fee, travel the distance to go to one of these big races, knowing that. If my son does well, like the bleep's going to hit the fan and what happens next, right? Like I would absolutely clear it beforehand just because it's a completely hypothetical situation and thinking. And that's how I was going to approach this on the podcast. Like I'm glad that you said, no, they did clear it beforehand. Like That makes sense because I can't imagine it going down any other way. Now, with that said, I think if he's just in a closed room and completely honest, AJ probably says the same thing that we said about Casey's parents and says, well, if he just takes his lumps, like who cares, right? And that's probably the way this goes 95% of the time. It's not the way that it went in this issue. Yeah. Now, I do want to circle back, Jed, to point 1A, I think, that you made a while back. And that is this this vitriol, this judgment that comes the way of Casey's parents. And I really think that ultimately this just speaks to the cultural gap within our sport because this infrastructure that that to be completely transparent you've had a hand in building i've had a hand in building this this big dollar bracket racing culture that that has been cultivated probably if we're honest over the course of the last two decades but specifically probably in the last eight to ten years like I talk to, I'm fortunate to have a pretty big network of racers across the continent, really. And I talk to racers on the East Coast. I talk to racers from Canada and the West Coast that just say, this is bizarre. Like, how on earth did this kid and his parents think that they could get away with this? Because not only would that never fly where we're at. Like the thought would never even cross your mind. You just don't race until you have a driver's license. And to that, I'll say it's just different in the Southeast. I'm not going to and I shouldn't even I shouldn't even pigeonhole it like that. Like it's big dollar bracket racing kind of all over the place Like that traveling circuit. It's just a different culture. And I'm not advocating for it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's what we've cultivated. And I've and I've got a theory here if you'll just roll with me and, and this may be completely off base but we talked when we had randy folk on you know close to a year ago 
a little bit about this culture. And I know that it didn't start with Randy because, Jed, you and I remember the George Howard days. And it, I mean, we oh, yeah. joked, we joked about it, but the two rules are you pay at the gate and the big tires go in the back. <laughs> and if the big tires don't go in the back, we can probably work with you on that as long as you pay at the gate. Right. <laughs> so the year, and we talked to Randy about this, the year that the million moved, the million was, I mean, they advertised it for a year. It's going to be at Indy at Lucas Oil Raceway Park. It wasn't even called that then. And it's going to be a big show. We're going to take it to the biggest stage an NHRA has to offer. And it's the biggest race in the world. And we get to Indy and they're enforcing NHRA tech. And with that crowd, like, I don't know all the details, but there was probably, I, I'm guessing, and this is a rough, like the first 50 cars that went through tech, 45 of them failed for whatever reason. Not to say that those cars were unsafe necessarily, but they were not up to standard, right? They, t- uh, certifications were out of date, uh, seatbelts, dri- non-licensed drivers, like whatever the case may be, the, the, everything wasn't up to par to race at that level. And so the decision was made, okay, well, we're just going to move the race. And so we, we move it to Muncie. And I remember because I was there, the sentiment around that was, hell yeah, we don't need their rules. We don't want to abide by any of that. We do our thing. We know we're, we're, we're fine. We're safe. Like, we don't need all this. We don't, we need, our belts are three years out of date. That's okay. They're, they're still going to keep us in the car, right? And that's, that was the feeling. Like, just charge on. We don't need this. We can police ourselves. That, to me, is where this kind of started. And it's just regressed from there. At, the point today, and I've mentioned this before, and you can call me old, and you can call me an old fogey, and like I just don't get it anymore because I've lived all of this. Like I've raced in shorts, you know, on down the line, every stupid thing you could do, I've done it. Raced at fourteen, I, I did it all. But today, when you go to not all, I don't want to be completely stereotypical, but you go to the majority of these big dollar bracket races, you don't know what kind of safety equipment your opponent's racing, using or not using. And I've shared my take on that before, and I've caught a lot of hell over it. But you don't want to wear all your stuff? Like, that's on you. That's you being an idiot. And it doesn't uh, – like it, and until you come into my lane, like, that doesn't affect me. You know what I mean? I, whatever. You race at your own risk. But you don't it stems it stems way beyond that because you don't know if the promoter's getting a cut of your opponent's winnings. You don't know if your opponent is drunk. You don't know if your opponent is high. You don't know if your opponent is 14 years old. The only rule is that there are no rules. And again, I may be old, I may be completely in the minority, but I for one would like to see some structure regained in this level of competition. Now, <laughs> there's some stuff in the NHRA rulebook that I think is overkill. I think most of us do. I don't think you necessarily need to get new seatbelts every two years. But I will say this, and I've been around long enough to see this. Every rule in that book is there on some level because the power that be think, and I would assume, again, there's science behind this, that that rule somewhere, somehow, some way along the line could have kept somebody from getting hurt. 
or kept somebody from getting killed. That's why they're there. So while that would be a complete culture shock to the racing community, I'm not against abiding by the rules. And if and, and then the rules say you got to be 16 to race, like I'm okay with that because if they're steadfast, there's no gray area. There's no, you know what? We could get by with this. And I would advocate more that direction uh, than anything else. Yeah, no doubt. And we've obviously discussed the the safety topic at length here on the podcast. It's been a little while and we were both blasted pretty good for the way we presented our opinion. I guess it came off as that we just don't really care what you're wearing or how safe you are. And that wasn't the intent at all. But, you know, I, I'm much, and I, as I said, much more concerned about staging beside someone that's high or under the influence of something that they shouldn't have taken than I am staging beside pretty much any 14-year-old that's done their share of racing, whether it's being junior dragsters or whatever. If safety is the biggest concern with having a 14-year-old out there, I feel uh, slightly better than 100% confident that he was the only thing he was under the influence of was chocolate milk. And uh, put me beside that guy every time. If we are concerned with safety, the way that I've seen this topic brought up so many times already since last weekend, then let's get the... So at work now, when you get a random drug test, they just put this little cotton swab right under your tongue. takes two or three minutes. We just give everybody one of those and have them come to the tower. takes two or three minutes, and you put that under there, and when it turns blue, it tells you that, that you're done. It's gotten enough sample from you. I, you know, I will even skip tech if you want to. Let's just do that. And... I think that's going to get us in a lot safer zone than because really, even when somebody bombs the brakes, Luke, and puts their car, stuffs it in the wall or gets it in someone else's or they spray a 350 shot to try to make up for a missed tree and scatter a motor all over the place and create who knows what uh, kind of trouble on the racetrack for themselves or anybody else. Do we test them afterwards? No, we get the medic, they get to them as quickly as they can, and they go, you okay? Do you know your birthday? Do you know your name? How old are you? What's your you know, child's name? Well, looks like they're okay. We'll let them go back to the pits. Don't even check them. We don't even check them to see if they're under the influence of something. So if we want to get safe, let's not worry about how many 14-year-olds are out there lying and cheating their way into a race, and obviously I say that jokingly, let's try to make sure that everybody's got their, uh, the only thing in their cabinet in the motorhome is wheat thins and some sour cream and onion potato chips instead of bags of goodies that 14-year-olds don't need to be anywhere around. So if you're truly concerned with safety and this is some kind of crazy safety violation to you, then let's really get safe. And let's start testing everybody. I think I could sum it up like this, Jed. As a racer, would I have any issue staging up beside Casey Pesno? 
no, obviously. Like he's as capable as any of us. He's proven that. But if then by default, if we let Casey Pesnell race at 14 years old, you kind of have to open the door to any 14-year-old. Sure. And I would just go out on a limb and say there's a lot of 14-year-olds that I am not comfortable staging beside. And to your point, you know, like a licensing process to prove that, I'm cool with that. But again, NHRA's got that. It's actually a really good process. Like you have to go through a blindfold test to show where everything's at in the race car. You have to make, you know, a progression of runs. It has to be signed off by two licensed drivers that say, yep, I would hurdle myself down the racetrack at 150 plus mile an hour beside this guy. But part of the NHRA stipulation is you got to be 16. And if there's rules, I'm cool with abiding by rules. Like that's just kind of where I'm going with the whole thing. I, again, maybe in the minority. And I love the fact that you kind of alluded to AJ and and Kyle are are looking to put together a committee of sorts to, to bring some of this to light and, and come up on a, come up with a unified set of rules that this, this culture, this big dollar bracket racing can, can abide by. I don't want to take too much credit, but if we have played any role in establishing that, I think that that is beyond necessary for that type of racing now. Because as I said, this starts off like the only word that I can use is anarchy. And it started with the best of intentions. Like we don't need to operate under these strict rules. But the problem is when there's no rules, ultimately, there's no damn rules. (laughs) and it just it regresses into what we've got which is a complete free-for-all and i think if it goes down this road much further i think it's going to be detrimental to certainly this particular niche of the sport if not the sport as a whole well promoters are gambling at a higher level than they've ever gambled before luke they're putting out money and prizes that nobody's ever dreamed that would happen and the small bracket racing community. So I get that sometimes that might sway your judgment a little bit and, and you, you're just trying to make sure you get as many people involved as you can because that's how it turns a profit. And oh, the, the rules, quote-unquote rules, from a promoter standpoint has become as much of a marketing tool as anything. Sure. And, and, and to be completely fair, like George started that. Like, look – you don't need to have conformed to all that. Like, if you want to come race, we'll give you a place to race. Yeah. And there's been different variations of that along the way. But I, I agree, like, that there has been thought put into what's allowed and what's discouraged according to the yeah. market. Right. No doubt. And, and again, I, I think, so what promoters and I, I'm a, a part-time promoter myself. And the last thing you want to do is rule your series or your event to death. But... Obviously, there needs to be some standards that everyone has to meet, and you make the decision whether you fit in the rules, whether you can go race that series or that event, and and it's as simple as that. I don't think anybody's going to set up a, a set of rules that's going to eliminate a large portion of the bracket racing community and keep them from being able to come compete, uh, and I think you can still set some good standards with safety in mind and quality of your event in mind and allow a large, large number of racers to come compete. And this will be another one of those. You're not going to be able to come race until you're 16. That's 15 months from now for Casey. We'll hear from him again in 15 months. The minute he turns 16, 
he'll be thinking about his next opportunity to go race. He turned 16 in the winter, so we won't have to put up with him cracking us for, you know, a few more months, but he'll be out shortly after 16 and we will hear from him again. He will continue to impress people at his age and no other 14 year old is going to get that opportunity. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying I agree with letting him race or disagree with letting him race. I'm just way too close to it. So I think my opinion is somewhat clouded because I would let Casey get in my car and race it. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, But 14-year-olds shouldn't get to do that. And I I agree with that thought from anybody. But again, just one of those unique situations. It's brought up a great topic for us to discuss. I thought Troy Williams Jr. had a great take on it. I saw on DRR on the post about the youngest winner ever that Lewis Change did. You know, Troy was one of the victims. And he said, let them race. Bring them on. He said, we need younger people at this level uh, staying interested in our sport instead of fizzling out basically after the junior dragster part of their racing career. And, you know, Troy was all for it and even made mention about other forms of motorsports having that age kids racing. So, you know, you're talking about a guy that, again, fell victim to it, probably should have been aggravated if it was breaking the rules you know you definitely don't want to get eliminated by someone that's quote-unquote breaking the rules but his take on it was shouldn't be that rule let them race again that's debatable for everybody but i liked his take on it and i liked the way that that he was very open about allowing that to happen uh, going forward so everybody's got an opinion and it's great that they're forming opinions but if your opinion has got anything to do with lying or cheating or anybody breaking the rules, uh, none of that really happened. Because if I come to the event promoter or a, a high-ranking official and say, "Hey, um, you know, I've got this going on with my vehicle. Do you guys allow that, or will you allow it?" and they say yes, I'm on race. I got. Uh, asked online on Facebook on the big discussion. I don't even know how many comments that thing got. Seven, eight hundred or something. If uh, what what do we now allow people to cross the center line? Can we allow that rule to be broken too? Well, if I ask the high-ranking official, hey, I like to cross the center line sometimes. Is that okay? And they say, yeah, it's not a problem. Then I might go cross the center line. If you're going to tell me, yes, I can come race, I'm going to come race. So nobody broke rules, nobody lied, nobody cheated. I think I've said that once or twice already, Luke, but I wanted to reiterate it. I know reiterate fits right there. I nailed that. That was very good. That was good. That was a uh, vocabulary word. All right. I think the takeaway on this for me, Jed, is that I think at our core, we're opposed on this. But you brought up some points that I'd be like, wow, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe I brought up some points that you thought the same thing. The point is, for the last however long we've been talking now, 40, 50 minutes, we've had like a civil debate and conversation. And it's just refreshing to know that that can happen in America. That just because we don't share an exactly corresponding opinion, that it doesn't make you an idiot or me an idiot in your eyes. Um, maybe if there's nothing else that comes from this conversation, maybe someone somewhere listening 
will be like, oh, yeah, huh, you can disagree and still be respectful. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Isn't it? That can happen. All right, Jed, and we're going to lighten things up a little bit. I got Rex Simmermaker coming on. We are going to talk top sportsman and top dragster at Indy. The first time that those two classes have converged on the big go, the U.S. Nationals. Uh, we're going to kind of uh, shake down, get a little bit nerdy. National championship pick points picture in both top sportsman and top dragster. Again, with Rex Simmermaker, he of the fast brackets fame. He is our resident, everyone's resident expert on the top sportsman and top dragster classes. Jed, thank you for some civil discussion. And uh, as you're listening, let us know your thoughts because I'm sure that in most of your eyes, both of us are dead wrong. So um, if you can, in the most civil way possible, and I realize that social media is not conducive to civil conversation, but tell us where we're, where we're a little off pace. We'd love to hear it. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. It's time for the big interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. All right, on to brighter and slightly less intense topics. I am joined now by our resident top sportsman, top dragster expert. He is the host of the Fast Brackets Podcast. He is my good friend, Rex Simmermaker. Rex, what is happening, brother? Luke, thanks for having me on man uh, this is a big big week in the top sportsman and top dragster world brother that's why we wanted to have you here uh, I, I think most of our listeners are aware that uh, not only does nhra's big go come to your stomping grounds at uh, lucas oil raceway park this weekend there's also the first u.s nationals to feature the two fastest true sportsman categories in NHRA competition, top dragster and top sportsman. That's your wheelhouse. How excited are you to see those two classes come to the prestigious, the, the most prestigious event on the tour, the NHRA U.S. Nationals? Yeah, I am incredibly fired up. And, and truthfully, all of Fast Brackets Nation is fired up. Um, the NHRA, as a lot of people know, early in the year, acknowledge that these two classes need to be run at the U.S. Nationals, at the Big Go, and um, said, hey, we're going to run them this year. So it just created 
an incredible amount of excitement and the entire group of guys and girls that are competing in these classes, that's been really the topic all year long, right? Is who's going to get there, who's going to qualify, and then what the bump spots are going to be because these guys are just ratcheting up the performance every week, seemingly. It's been really, really cool to see this thing snowball into this week. And, um, you know, we're going to find out. We're going to find out who put their name in the history books by being the first ever top sportsman and top dragster winner of the U.S. Nationals. No doubt it's been a, a hot button topic all year. And it was the talk of the racetrack at Beach Bend a week ago. Like, all anybody wanted to talk about was top sportsman, top dragster at Indy. How nuts is it going to be? And the, the the sentiment that I got, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because you've got your finger on the pulse of this, top sportsman is going to be awesome. Top dragster is going to be plum ridiculous. Is that the sense that you're getting? Oh, of course. Absolutely. So just think in terms of this. So NHRA at the beginning of the year said, hey, you cannot run any quicker than 610. Right. So 610 is the minimum index there because guys were going in the fives all last year. So they kind of bumped that thing back to 610. So in Bowling Green, there were 31 cars that qualified between 610 and 630. And that was the divisional. That wasn't the national event. That was the divisional. So we had 31 cars qualified within two tenths. And it's going to be much, much better this week yet and because there are guys that are coming that have made the hall that are faster yet and by my count i've got about 20 guys right now that are registered that and girls that can run under the 610 index if they want to at any well that was even part of the craziness at bowling green you said 31 between 610 and 630 and there was at least one or two that there's only two sessions that went too fast that didn't get qualified because they were too fast right so I predicted early or midsummer, I would say, I thought the that the bump was going to be 620 or 622, sorry, and I'm I'm ratcheting that down. I think all 32 cars for top dragster are going to be in the teens, and I wow. think it's just going to be wild. That's awesome. Now, as we record here, I'm looking at the entry list. It's final. It's final as of two o'clock this afternoon. Recording on a Monday. I, at one point, I think Top Dragster had like 44 entries. It ended at 36, which I assume is just the natural thinning of the field. The 640 guys realized, hey, I don't have a prayer. 39 right. in Top Sportsman. So I'll throw this to you. You just said that the Top Dragster bump would be in the teens. I assume that there's going to be three sessions. I haven't seen a detailed run schedule. Is that your assumption as well? I would like there to be three qualifying sessions. The way I understand it today is there's only going to be two. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, that does change some things, obviously. And as you well know, the, the schedule is subject to change from time to time. But the way I understand it right now, there will be two sessions on Thursday. The weather looks fantastic for Thursday. So hopefully the, those two qualifying sessions let the guys and girls really go at it. But it, it does. It changes things just a little bit. So that could be a factor in, in getting into the, the bump into the 20s. But it, it's not going to go uh, past 25. If you think about that, I mean, if it really slows down, it'll go to 25. So it really slows down. I just, in those two sessions, I mean, for every, maybe not every spectator on the ground, but for every competitor on the ground, 
Like that's, that's must see TV. I just, I remember the only thing I can equate it to, and it's years ago and it's literally a half second plus difference in the bump. But back when the IHRA world nationals were at Norwalk, everybody had to go fast to get in. It was a massive field fighting for those 32 spots. And you just had to be up there to watch top dragster and top sports and qualifying. I just remember in top dragster. Now, again, it's a little bit dated technology. And it's a decade plus ago, more than that, really, in its heyday. But every top dragster session, you were guaranteed to have a near blowover. You were guaranteed somebody was going to blow the hood scoop up higher in the tower. Like, it was just awesome. You know what I mean? And everybody loved it. You know, even the competitors that were having issues. Like, it was just cool to be a part of it. And that atmosphere, I think that that sense is what we're going to have at Indy. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and in the last decade, the technology has gotten a you know, much, much better. So we don't expect to see as many hood scoops going flying on the top dragster side. But when the top sportsman guys come up, I I would expect to see some people lighten it up and throwing on the third and fourth kit and things happen at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we just talked happen. about how, how ridiculous that top dragster bump's going to be again, depending on sessions and things like that. Like we're saying that it could be in the teens. I mean, you said no slower than 625. How sportsman's actually got more competitors that aren't going to get in. There's 39 entered. Give me a prediction for what that top sportsman bump looks like in the end. Yeah. So what I think is going to happen, Luke, is I think the bump for top sportsman and those 32 cars is going to be at or lower than what the pro stock bump is for their 16 cars. <laughs> so, so I don't know what that number is going to be, but that's what I believe will happen. So if you, if you can think about that, the top sportsman 32 cars would be at or below the bump for top sportsman. And I'm looking at the entry list and there are guys coming from across the country that have the horsepower and the experience to do it. So I don't think I'm going that far out on a limb by saying that. So you're thinking 650, sub 650, somewhere in that range? Or I guess the pro stock bump would probably be up in the 60s. I think it's going to be 60s. I mean, you know, a lot will depend on how good the air gets. The air is good. It was good last weekend, and it should be very, very good this weekend. The forecast is um, awesome, right? Yeah. So, I mean, density altitude, you know, around 1,000 foot when it, it <laughs> has lots of time then in the 3,000 foot range you know, for that. So, or plus, so I think if, if the density altitude gets in the, you know, thousand foot range, we're going to see, yeah, low sixties. And, and that would just be a bunch of fun for everybody involved. Yeah, no doubt. And because I know, uh, you know, just from seeing it with my own eyes, from listening to your podcast, I know we've got the the Lester Johnsons of the world, the Cheyenne Stanley's that can seemingly go as fast as they want to go. But there's that big a top sportsman contingent that can dip down into the low sixes. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the people just gotten bigger with cubic inches. They've figured out how to throw more nitrous at it with without destroying stuff all the time. Certainly, the pro chargers come into play have, I mean, really changed the game in terms of that. Made made guys allowed guys to make power without blowing stuff up to the regularity that we just have in the past. And so by changing a pulley and, and, um, you know, getting the thing dialed in a little bit with the fuel curve, man, these, these things have taken off. And then there's a few guys that, which I think is really cool that go huge cubic inches and are still pulling gears, which I think is a lot of fun too. And it just, 
there's a that's the fun of the classes. There's a lot of different ways to go about it. And these guys and girls are doing it at a high, high level. Yeah, no, I think that's the most fascinating thing about watching these classes. It kind of takes me back to the early days of ProMod, where there's a lot of different ways to go fast. And especially with the 610 limit, just the ability for all of those combinations, whether it's nitrous, whether it's a blower, whether it's a pro charger, to get down into that range, is it's really cool to watch. I think you're absolutely accurate. And that is, you know, one of the joys of the class is not only seeing the different body styles and all that stuff, but also the different power combinations. And, and these guys have figured it out. It's, they're going very, very fast and then, then uh, trying to judge the stripe at 200 miles an hour. So, you know, good times. <laughs> yeah, good times. I mentioned in the, the introduction that you are the host, obviously, of the Fast Brackets podcast. I assume that many of our listeners are familiar with that from the get-go. But you've got some big plans for Indy, as that is really the premier event for all the sports and drag racing, but specific to top sportsmen and top dragsters, specific to 2019. This is a big deal for your audience. And you've got some really cool stuff planned for the week. So why don't you go ahead and share that here with our listeners and tell us how we can be a part of it. Yeah. So on Thursday, I mentioned earlier that the qualifying sessions for top sportsmen and top drags are, are on Thursday. So there will be at least two sessions. They may throw us a third session on Friday, but we're expecting to have two qualifying sessions on Thursday and then go right into eliminations Friday morning. So Thursday night, we are going to have a live podcast show and it's right outside the track. So if you're in the track, if you're running uh, super comp, super gas, stock comp, whatever it might be, or you just happen to be within 150 miles of Indianapolis on Thursday night. If you go out the main gate and then go east about, about four tenths of a mile, you can ride your golf cart right to the all sports pub there inside the Sol- Sunshine Bowling Center. And you, we will have the live podcast version of the Fast Brackets podcast. And so it's going to be really cool. All of these guys and girls are going to show up. We're going to do a live show and uh, just really enjoy the fact that as a group, history gets made the next day. So this is a long time coming for these classes and it's a big deal to all of us. And we're just so excited that we thought, hey, how better to represent this than do a live show and so it's going to be just a bunch of fun. And uh, so I would invite all of your listeners to, to come on with that. If you follow the Fast Brackets podcast Facebook page, you can, you can get all the up-to-date details and addresses and just all the details that you would need to join us. We're going to have an absolute great time. And then you're going to get to see all these competitors that are just really have been working all year long to make history. And they're going to be there. And you know, we're going to interview them. It'll be, there'll be some interactive version of that. And then, man, if you have any questions about, you know, about some of these high level power outers, there's no better knowledge base in the country than we'll be all together at uh, the Sunshine Bowling Center in uh, Claremont, Indiana on Thursday night, August 29th. 
such an awesome idea, Rex. I am looking forward to that. I will be there checking things out and participating. And just again, to any of you that will be in Indy, any of you listening to this, I encourage you to come join, support Rex and what he's doing and just enjoy what's going to be a fun night. If you're not in Indy, tune in and listen on the Fast Brackets podcast. It's going to be a good time without question. Now, Rex, originally... My plan for this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast was I was going to nerd out and talk about points because I, I dig points. I get into it, right? Then <laughs> yeah. Casey Pesno went out and broke the internet, and we had to talk about that. It was good, good discussion. We're going to table the nerdy points talk for a future episode, maybe next week. But while you're here, because your finger is, again, on the pulse of it, I want to go ahead and dissect the points chase in the two fast brackets, in Top Sportsman and Top Dragster. Let's start, Rex, with Top Dragster. As I just scroll through the top 10 and really on down through the top 50, it looks relatively apparent to me that the favorite at this point, as we move into Labor Day, to win the 2019 NHRA Top Dragster World Championship is Jeff Strickland. Would you agree with that synopsis? I would, yeah. And the way it breaks down, that you know, the top five sitting out there right now are Ross Larice, Jeff Strickland, as you mentioned, Aaron Stanfield, Mike Coughlin, and then Rusty Baxter. And to your point, Jeff is sitting pretty just in terms of um, how many events that he's claimed thus far, and he's got a little bit extra available to him to to claim, which I think is so interesting as we've followed this throughout the year is, and this is a football reference because football season among us, if you're eight games into a football season and a, one team is six and two and the other team is eight and no, oh, you know that the team is behind by two games. I mean, that's very clear because everybody's played the same amount of games. That's, as you well know, Luke, that's not how this works. You might be two games back because you simply have not raced three times and claimed those yet. So it's really interesting to see not only where people are today, but also what they have left to claim. And so to your point, I think I think Jeff Strickland is in the right spot there. I will say that sitting sitting right there and ready to make a run at any given time is last year's national champion, our hero, Paul Nero, Ed, the undertaker open is sitting right there, James Warden, Jeff Taylor, and then a guy who is podcast certified by the fast brackets podcast, Steve Kasner is sitting there as well. So I think it will be interesting to see how this plays out, but I don't think you can go wrong by picking Jeff Strickland uh, right now, as you did. No, a couple of threads to pull on there. Kasner is an awesome interview. I know you had him on a couple of times. He's great. And I love the the way that you reference that to, to football and the stick and ball sports in general, because it's not apples to apples. Um, the way that this breaks down, Ross Larice currently leads by a round and a half. There's only got one event remaining at which you can claim points, because in top direction, top sportsman, it's just your best three out of five national events, correct? That's right. Yep. And I, so, that is something that three out of five as opposed to three out of six in all the which, other categories. Which makes sense because Top Dragster is not contested at every national event. But in Ross's case, okay. he's improving a second round loss at Indy. And I really think this is bad to say because he's a round and a half in the lead right now. But I think his only hope of winning the world championship is to win Indy. Like that puts it not out of reach, but that puts it up there. 
Because just behind him, as I mentioned, Jeff Strickland, who I think you have to admit at this point is the favorite, a round and a half back, but currently has two nationals plus three divisionals. So five events at which he could improve his score in national competition, he's improving a first round loss. So that doesn't mean, I mean, you could go to five events and not win a round. Like I've been there. But if, if you like to invest in blue sky, Jeff Strickland's got a lot of blue sky. And he's obviously talented. He's obviously capable. He has won this championship before. Like I say, you, I think he's the favorite. You listed a number of contenders. Is there anyone, as you look down the list, that you could identify as like, hey, don't sleep on this guy or gal. Like, if things just fell into place, they could really make a run at this thing. I would tell you that on the top sportsman side, there's a couple people that really jump out at me. On the top dragster side, I feel pretty confident that the national champion is going to come from one of the 10 guys that I just listed. But keep in mind that this class has 419 competitors that have thrown their hat in the ring to try to win the national championship this year. And so, you know, whoever comes out on top has definitely earned it. Yeah, no question. And such a cool class in general. If I had to pick a sleeper, and it's, it's a long shot, but that's the definition of a sleeper, I'd take Mark Jones just because he's got his next national to claim full. And if he was to win that, his next national would be improving a first-round loss. He's a guy it would it would take the two wins and some help, um, but he's a guy that could make a run at it and is certainly capable. Let's switch over to, uh, to top sportsman now because this, to me – I don't know that I would say it's more wide open. I think there's a set favorite here as well, but it looks like there's a lot more room for um, surprise. Like there's a little bit less stability here among the the top of the top sportsman ranks. Would you agree? Yeah, there's still a lot of season left on the top sportsman side. I think sitting up top is Doug Crumlich and uh, that, you know, he's uh, got uh, a little bit of a spread there. Richard Okerman is second, Alan Firestone, Joe Maloff, and then Doug Bracey round out the top five. So, you know, all those guys have had had great starts, obviously. And then um, and then six through ten is Sandy Wilkins, very familiar name on the top sportsman side. Bart Smith, who started out incredibly hot by winning the first couple of events. Kurt Frederick, who's been uh, really sharp here lately. Uh, Bud Priest, and then Jeff Gillette. So, those 10 guys are all in position to get in position is what I like to say. So I like those, but to your point, there are a couple guys sitting out there in the 15 to 20 range that have several events yet to claim. And it would not shock me if uh, they make a run before the end of the year. And I'm going to just give you a name that I think has a chance um, is, is Jerry Albert. And he's, He's been really good here lately. He won the Indy Divisional. So coming back to Indy this week, he would be incredibly comfortable there. But there is, there's a lot of movement yet to shake out on the top sportsman side. So I'm really excited to, to see what happens from here on out. Would you say that, uh, that Kremlich is the favorite right now? I think so. I mean, he's got a 50-plus point lead, so that that helps. And obviously, when you win, it gives you confidence, right? So you know how it is. Like, I would rather play with the lead than anything, and he's certainly doing that right now. But, but you know, this sport is decided by thousands of a second 
at 200 miles an hour. So it doesn't take much to change the tide pretty quickly. And, and that's, that's where we're at. And we've got very experienced guys sitting in that fifth to 15th place right now that any of them could uh, get hot and change this whole scenario. Crumlich looked really strong. As you said, on paper right now, he's up 50 points, but he is still 50 points short of what it took to win last year's national championship. Too. So to your point, there is work yet to be done. I like Crumlich's chances just because he's been through the fire. He was third last year, correct? With a massive score and obviously on pace to, to duplicate that, if not better it. But to your point, you mentioned a lot of the contenders and you, you pin Jerry Albert as a sleeper, which is crazy to think of Jerry Albert as a sleeper. Like when I think top sportsman, I still think Ronnie Davis, but I, I think Jerry Albert, you know, right there. Um, but yeah, he's only been to one national event, which he won. Only been to five points meets to this point. So he is obviously one capable of making a run. As I look down, there's a lot of racers kind of within the top 20 with a lot of races left to claim. You'd mentioned Jeff Gillette. He's only been to three points meets. Sitting back there, still 150 points shy of the lead. But when you figure he's got two full claims, that seems doable. Lance Rutland, my little buddy from Texas, has lit it up on the divisional scene. Doesn't have the fastest top sportsman car, so he's limited on what national events he can even go to. Uh, but I know he made the trip up to Brainerd. I assume that there's some national events remaining on his calendar. If he got hot, he could make a run at the championship. Don Sefton's only been to one national event. You mentioned Jerry Albert. Sean Herbst up to Division Six, which I don't know if it's logistically possible to make four more national events from Division Six, and that's probably what he'd have to do. But there's a number of racers with the that if light, if you could catch lightning in a bottle, could really make a run at that thing. Yeah, and... and- Sean Herbst was on the show and he was an incredible interview. So if you get a chance, uh, check that out. He's, uh, been a hot topic on our show. Um, just because he is tucked way up there and is knocking on the door of something really special. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a lot about which guys are going to chase it. You know, maybe who has, uh, ha- has issues or doesn't have issues and, and can chase it. And th- this is just going to be a lot of fun to watch there thus far. There've been 365 entrants in the top sportsman ranks nationally. And, you know, we've got 25 guys that legitimately still have a chance to win it all. So it's going to be just a bunch of fun. Yeah, it will. And topped off, nothing will be funner than the week upcoming at Indy. I know that you are going to be a big part of it. I'm excited to just be a fly on the wall and watch it all happen. And I think it's one of those unique situations where, the four non-qualifiers and top dragster, the seven non-qualifiers and top sportsmen, I think they're going to be as excited and as happy to have been a part of this experience as the winner. Like, I just think it's going to be a really cool atmosphere to just say, I was there. I was part of that initial field. I think you're so, so right. All those guys are going to say, I was part of the first one. And then somebody is going to get to say, my name's on the first one, and I won the very first ever Wally at, at Indy, which is just super, super cool. So, I mean, um, these guys and girls hang out together. They travel together, obviously get to know each other very, very well as competitors. But, man, come, come Friday morning, there will be no love lost between any of them because everybody will be fighting to be the first one. No doubt. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Indy always brings its own share of drama and storylines, but coming in 
I can personally say, and I think most sportsmen racers would say the same, I'm more excited to see what happens in top dragster and top sportsman than I am anything else outside of my own personal results. So looking forward to Indy, looking forward to seeing you there, looking forward to the live podcast on Thursday night. Again, if you're going to be in town, guys, check that out. If not, be sure to listen on the Fast Brackets podcast. Rex, any closing thoughts for our listeners? Appreciate you having me on. It's a huge honor to be a, be a part of your show. Uh, certainly, the Fast Brackets podcast was inspired by this show and by you. So, thank you for having me on. And you know, just uh, any of your listeners are interested in following our classes a little a little more closely, just follow us uh, easily on the Facebook page, uh, the Fast Brackets podcast, or you know, go on uh, iTunes that little purple icon and look up the fast brackets podcast awesome rex thank you for coming on and uh, i will see you in indy yep thanks for having me see you luke uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast with luke and jed sorry no shouts this week nothing exciting like that i didn't take good enough notes as we went along um <laughs> so i apologize for that but uh, thanks to jed for for breaking his uh, his schedule and doing our quote-unquote emergency podcast on the casey pesnell situation thanks to rex simmermaker and the fast brackets podcast for coming on and sharing some of his insights as we all get ready and excited for the u.s nationals we will be back again next week i don't know exactly what next week will bring i won't pretend to have a plan i may very well get nerdy and uh, and delve a little bit deeper into the nhra points chase in all of the sportsman categories or someone may break the internet again and we'll just have to talk about it so i don't know what's coming up next week but be sure to tune in be sure to subscribe uh, to the sportsman drag racing podcast maybe we'll just have an indie recap maybe there will be so much drama and so many incredible storylines from indie that we just have to talk about it we will wait and see but regardless next wednesday we will have a new episode for you thank you for listening enjoy indie if that's where you're headed or uh, have a great labor day weekend otherwise Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom bobbing for a 10. I'm rolling in the cutty, switching feet like Jerry Pennington. I was in my truck. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. 
If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elitist for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.